Okay, I think we're getting, uh, we're getting back here and we're going to dig into uh, the Word. Now, this looks like a crowd who probably has experienced this before. And how many of you have ever wrote a handwritten letter to somebody before? Anybody? Any handwritten? How many of you have received a, a handwritten letter. Uh, the, these things are actually quite fascinating when you think about them because like, it, it means that you, you take some time. Like, Folks, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're single and looking, uh, this, is a great, this is a great trick for you right now. All right, Write a handwritten letter. Do not pull up the phone and text them something. Write this. And it, it's fantastic. But this thing about the letter is oftentimes you would write content onto this piece of paper and then you would seal it into an envelope. The key word being sealed. And so I've got a letter here that I have actually written to somebody in the room who is here with us today. And so there is a note inside that is addressed to them. I mean, it's important for them. And what I did with this letter is I actually, unfortunately, I, I know we're kind of still dealing with this COVID thing, but I did lick, I did lick this. All right, and, and I seal this. And one of, these, one of these tricks about sealing an envelope is that there is this adhesive that is on the envelope in which you could seal it. Why is that there? So that nobody can just open this up and, and do what they got to do and try to look at your stuff. Now, the other piece, and I found this really interesting because this is something that my dad taught me. I don't know if it's just a, a mistrust for the adhesive or it's a mistrust for the mail system, but then my dad, in order to seal his envelopes most of the time, he'd put tape all along it, right? So you knew full well that nobody would break it. And other people have different ways of sealing their envelopes in their past as well. And I, I remember back to some of my earlier days as well, I sometimes would get a sealing of perfume that would be attached to the envelope. Maybe you've done this before. Or I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've seen uh, like lipstick marks on, a, on an envelope. But a seal is, is, a, is a mark actually for something that is happening on the inside. Now, I got to tell you that the purpose of this letter right here is not for it to be closed, right? That is not the purpose, but we seal it for a reason. The purpose is that you are to be able to open and see what the contents are that are inside of what was written. And there is only one person who is actually authorized to open that which has been sealed. And so, Josiah, this is not a love letter, but this is for you. Now, this idea of having a letter and it being sealed is so critical for us to understand what we're about to jump into in the text that we're about to take a look at. As we turn the pages from Revelations chapters 4 and 5, we now get to Revelation chapter 6. And I got to tell you, this is a goodie. Because last week we ended that there was a letter, there was a scroll. Only one was worthy to open the scroll. And his name was Jesus. And as Jesus unopens or as he opens the scroll, this is kind of what he says to us today. Brace up, buckle up, because what you're about to hear is not pretty at all. So let's take a look at it today. In Revelation chapter 6, it says, As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals of the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings saying with a, loud, a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow. And a crown was placed on his head. 
he rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. And when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. And then together, or then another horse appeared, a red one. And its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Are you excited? Yeah, like this is great. When the lamb broke the third seal of the letter, I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat, bread, or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and the wine. And when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. And these two were given authority over one-fourth of the entire earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Are you excited you came to church today to read the word of the Lord together? What is this talking about? What is going on? So let's take a look at it. But as we've read the word of the Lord today, let's pray and ask God for his wisdom. Father, I do not understand all the things that we've even just read here. And so we really need your help and your grace in these moments to have clarity. Because I don't think that you are wanting to bring confusion to us today. You are clear. And you have a clarity that you want to speak to us. And so I ask, Holy Spirit of God, that through the preparation and the reading of your word, we would be able to land in on the wisdom that you want to speak to us. So I ask today that you would give us your grace in this space. And so Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Come on, everybody said. The subject I'd like to speak to us from today is admit evil and do not fear it. Now, last week as we looked at our series, Not As It Seems, we rolled into Revelation 4 and 5, and we learned there that there was this lamb that appeared to be slaughtered, and that lamb was a picture of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only one who was able and worthy to open that scroll. There was a panic in heaven as John was there weeping because nobody could open it, but then Jesus rolls in that little lamb who had a lot of horns and a lot of eyes on himself, which was representing his strength and his wisdom. But this little lamb was the one who was worthy. And what we were beginning to see in Revelation chapter 6 is that he is the one who is authorized to open the letter. He's the only one. And I like what Summers, commentator, says this. Seals are a sign of ownership. Documents were sealed not to prevent their contents from being known, but to say only the authorized one could open it. And this is where our story picks up today, is Jesus is about to open this scroll. But the importance is not necessarily the scroll at this stage, it's the seals. That which has been sealed marks that it has ownership to it. That the one who is given this scroll and its seals is the one who is in charge. They would understand the marking of seals when it came to letterhead back in antiquity. Because often they would take these massive rings, they would dip them into some ink, 
or to some wax, and they would seal it. But it came from an authority to the other people. And Jesus now is the only one who could reveal what is the content of that which is inside the letter. And what we've just read in the first four verses of chapter 6 is normally where, the, where people like you and I stop reading Revelation. We do not want to read any further because it's a little bit scary. It is that fear narrative, and we don't know what to do with it. Like, are we starting to talk about these things that are all in our heads called the end times? Are we now in the end times? And it's interesting when you think about that comment that today we're in the end times. What about the first century church? Who, when Jesus ascended into heaven, they thought that the imminent return of Jesus' second coming was there. But guess what? We're like 20 centuries later. How many of you think first century got ripped off? in their thoughts. But they thought that they were in the end times. Just as much as we thought that when COVID struck and Putin goes crazy, that we're in the end times as well. Who's right when it comes to this narrative of end times? We've often looked at Revelation. It's just future predictive. It's just going to be down the road. It's going to be out there. But I'm proposing today that things are not as it seems. Or this idea that Jesus is going to come for his church, right? And the rapture is going to happen, and he's going to take his people up there, and then there's going to be all this chaos here on this earth, and we don't know necessarily what is going to take place. So this week on Google, because Google knows everything, uh, I went and I found this picture, and I want to show you this picture, and I want you to take a good look at it, but this is an end times graph, and I don't know who the source is, but I just want you to take a look at it. All right, this is the picture on a graph as to what is going to happen in this thing called the end times. Interesting, right? Again, I don't know if it's accurate fully, but take a good look at it. What are your first thoughts when you look at this graph for yourself? You don't have to yell it out, but I think you can get a picture in your head. What are your first thoughts? And let me just take one quick guess. How many of you are a little bit confused with what you're looking at right now? <laughs> right? Okay, so that we have... But then another question that I'd ask you to take a look at when it comes to this picture would be this. What are you certain of, though, when it comes to this picture? What are the things that you know? And there are a couple things that I do want us to see here today as we look at these seven seals. First of all, we know that there was the ascension of Jesus Christ who died, resurrected, and he rose to the Father. You'll notice at the very bottom of the picture is that Jesus is looking for those who will accept him. The story of life, the story of history and future, the story of revelation is that Jesus is going to give you and I as many chances as he possibly can. Why? Because of his incredible love and mercy, and he wants to bring you into his kingdom. Now, we get kind of caught in the middle of this and this tribulation thing, and a lot of people then start moving into things and not, try not to confuse you, but people sometimes think that, well, Jesus is going to rapture us, and then there's going to be the pre-tribulation, there's going to be a mid-tribulation, or there could be a post-tribulation, and a lot of people for a lot of time have pointed their decisions and opinions around these things, and I could probably lift up each of those positions, and I could find both pros and cons to them. But like we see all of these things, millennia, like when, and second coming of Christ, and then we see eternity. That's something I think that we could be certain of today, is that Jesus Christ is coming back. And for those that are marked by him, you will live in eternity with him. That's good news for us today. But there has been so much confusion for centuries because it exists over man's own commentary to the picture that you've seen on the screen. People are confused, bewildered, they want to know, 
answers, but they may not be able to get them for this reason. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus lets us all know here today that nobody knows the day or the hour in which Jesus Christ is going to return. Nobody. And yet, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of interesting stories about people who have tried to guess when Jesus is coming back. This morning, I'm not going to pretend to know the timeline or the particular positions that you may hold. But what I will do is I'm going to approach this text today with a humility that I do not have all the right answers. But I do believe that there is clarity that we could build out of these chapters that we are seeing. So this is what I know. That the kingdom of heaven is on a collision course with the kingdom of earth. We read it last week in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God wants to bring its realities to the kingdom of this earth. And it is on a collision course because two different kingdoms will all the time clash against one another. But God wants heaven to invade the principles that we have established here on earth. And this is what I know, that when that rub occurs, evil wants to demonstrate itself in this world. The key word, evil. We see evil everywhere, do we not? We see its effects on our earth. And it is because there is a collision of these two kingdoms at play. And what do we do at that moment when we see evil? You and I together, we begin to pray for God to show up and do something about it, right? We pray for this thing called justice, which ultimately is the root of God's judgment. And what you and I have done for a long time is we have prayed the judgment and the justice of God to come and, and, and to deal with these situations that are around us. And we have to see that as we begin to read these texts, these texts that nobody wants to read, the texts that everybody has had confused for a really long time, is that what we are reading is a demonstration of the love of God. Because his people have asked for him to show up and deal with evil. And we wrestle with this in this culture because how could a loving and a gracious God bring justice and judgment onto this earth? And you've already answered yourself because of his love. And remember that line at the bottom of the picture. Jesus is willing to exhaust any means possible to have people come and bow their knee to him. Interesting story. But when humans reject lamb power, they experience it as disaster. Perhaps disordered desire, death, or destruction. So what we're about to read together today is not, um, it's not trying to instill a fear into us, but it is to provide a wake-up call for the sleepers. I want us to see that God in his love will bring a justice, and that justice is hard. But we cannot forget that our vision of chapters 4 and 5, the one who sits on the throne the one who is worthy to open the scroll. That is the vision that allows us to look at the vision of chapter 6 with a hope and a certainty and a confidence that God is able. Over these next few weeks, we're going to look at the judgment of God. Are you excited? 
<laughs> like we have to because it's here in the book. But I want to give a little bit of a framework to um, the judgment that we see in Revelation with three quick points just to help us um, frame ourselves around it. Number one, Revelation's visions of judgment do not ultimately conflict with the central and centering vision of God and the Lamb in chapters four and five. Here's the, here's the deal. Jesus wins, we win, and he is victorious. Amen? We cannot be lost in the stuff we're about to read because of this exact point. The second thing is that Revelation's visions of judgment uh, on evil, especially the evil of imperial idolatry and oppression, should be understood as symbols rather than depictions of the divine activity. And we're going to explore this a little bit over the next few weeks. I'm just setting a stage here. And the third thing is Revelation's visions of judgment symbolizes God's penultimate, listen to this, penultimate, next to last, rather than ultimate in final activity in human history. That is, judgment is a means to an end. Judgment is not the end. Eternity with God is the end for those that will bow their knees to him. So we have to keep that in mind. Michael Gorman says this, that this first tidal wave of violent imagery expresses the apocalyptic insight that the world's suffering is allowed by God, but is more fundamentally a result of sin. So let's explore this evil that is taking place inside of our world with these four horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as many people have referred them to. But again, apocalypse in this kind of context, kind of actually sounds a little bit more like a, a doomsday scenario because of what destruction and evil that they do bring. But remember, apocalypse is a grand reveal. What God is doing for us as his people today, is he is revealing that when evil comes to this world, this is the damage in which it can and will do. So the first four seals of the letter that I gave to Josiah, actually not quite, but uh, the first four seals are these four horsemen. And in specific, we need to take a look at this first one because this first horseman, this first horse is a white horse. But a lot of people have been confused as to who is the person that is on this white horse. And a lot of people will refer to it as Jesus. Because if you were to fast forward the story over to Revelation 19, you'll see Jesus show up on this valiant white horse. He's dressed in white, the sword of his mouth, and he's got stuff written on his thigh. And this is a picture of Jesus, but that's Revelation 19. So some people have tried to say that this is the same exact rider here. But I would propose today, as I've researched this a little bit more, that this is not the case. What we are looking at in this first rider that shows up on the scene of Revelation is nothing else but an imposter and an imitator of who Jesus is. And this is interesting because we're going to look at imitation over the next several weeks and the things and the forces of darkness and evil and how they try to imitate God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the power person of the Holy Spirit. But this very first horse is an imposter and an imitator. And I think what Jesus is trying to show to John as he communicates to us as his people is that there is an imitation at play. So be very careful with what you're about to listen to. And the interesting part about all of these writers is I want you to see this in each of the sections is that each of these writers were given permission. They were given a crown. They were given a permission to take one-fourth of the earth. They were given permission to provoke famine in the world. Given. Given. When you are given permission, it notes one thing that we cannot ignore. Somebody else is calling the shots, aren't they? When you are given something, it means that there is someone over top 
who is given the permission to make that happen. The one who is in control, the one who is in charge, Revelation 4 and 5, his name is Jesus. And no matter what evil will try to bring to this world, Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still in charge. So it shows us out of these, these first four writers that evil is unleashed. Let's look at this. There is a red horse, which then leads us to war and social evils that are around. There is a black horse, which brings famine upon the land and ecological evil in our day. There is a pale horse, which is disease and death, and it is a biological evil that we need to see. Take a good look at this list because I'm going to make some really strong statements right now. Jesus never sits on a red horse in this world. He never sits on a red horse. They thought that he was going to come as this militant king, but how did he come in? On a donkey. This little lamb will never sit on a red horse. It's not his style. It's not who he is. Famine, when we begin to see it in the lens of this horse and its rider, is nature that is out of balance. And you know what this is in our world today? It's greed. And we have a greedy world who has allowed a lot of atrocities to occur and to take place. While many will sit cozy and comfy, there are people who are dying because of what is happening. This is that rider. And then we see the sickness that has permeated our world. We've watched it in these last couple of years through COVID. And no, I'm not trying to make a statement here with COVID, but I want us to see that there was a horse that is released to bring a sickness and a death. And I actually think that we have become so sick in this culture because we're so busy all the time. We've allowed our technologies to overtake who we are as people, and it has caused a sickness inside of us as well. We see all of these areas of evil that have taken place. And folks, I have to say that we have seen these realities for centuries, have we not? Like if we are thinking as Revelation just as a future predictive that it's going to happen over there, I'm a little bit panicked for what will happen over there then. Because I've watched through history what has happened, and I'm telling you that there are nations from their centuries who have thought and have seen the displays of evil. Our Jewish friends in the 40s and 50s who lost 6 million of their own, the Rwandan genocide. What is taking place in our world today? Famine, people in starvation. This stuff is real and it is happening. What are we saying today is this. Evil is real, is it not? It is rampant and it is dangerous. And for some reason, in his judgment, justice, Jesus gives permission to these horsemen and their horses to allow evil to be seen in this world. Another key detail you may have not picked up, but in each of those four horsemen's stories, it also took us back to Revelation chapter 5 where we were introduced to these four living beings that were around the throne. They were weird-looking creatures by the sounds of it. But what that was was humanity. It was the totality of creation in its symbolism. And each one of these living beings says the word, Come! Just before the rider is about to be released to do whatever they are going to do. Now, who are these living beings calling to? Like, are they talking to John? Like, hey, John, pay attention. I know you're hearing this vision, but are they calling to John? 
Are they perhaps calling to the riders? Hey, it's your turn now to enter to the stage of history and do your thing, which kind of sounds a little bit odd because it just, it is. Or, 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 or perhaps are these living beings actually calling out to God by saying, come, I want you to bring your kingdom to this earth because evil is so persistent and evil is very real and dangerous. God, we need your kingdom. We need you to come right now and address the things. And God, in his great justice, I think he begins to respond. The story will continue because I know that there are seven seals. We've just covered four of them. But there are a couple more seals, uh, seals five and six. And these seals demonstrate both a narrower and a wider dimension of evil for us to take into account. Um, seal number five is about religious persecution and martyrs, and we read about that in the churches of Revelation, John 7 churches, and some martyrs there. But this is uh, religious persecution. And I got to tell you, like we've seen religious persecution in our history, right? And we will continue to see it in our future. But religious persecution is this seal. And I said that it was uh, both a narrower and a wider approach to evil for this for this reason, because in, in religious persecution, it's a little bit more narrower because it is suffered only by the minority who live by faith. But then seal number six shows up, and it is catastrophe. It is nature on a whirlwind course to destroy a lot of stuff. And nature is a little bit more inclusive, is it not? And it is not a respecter of people. Whether you are an animal, you are a human being, whether you are innocent or guilty, when catastrophe strikes, it don't care who you are. And this seal, we are shown that catastrophe begins to happen. Eugene Peterson says this, persecution is focused where cat catastrophe is indiscriminate. I like this. We've got evil everywhere. So through these first six seals, we see that evil is on a course with this earth. And it has been given a permission from God in order to have its day. I like this quote that I, was, that I read in our study, and it said this, If Christianity is valid, why is there so much evil in the world? To this, the famous preacher replied, With so much soap, why are there so many dirty people in the world? Christianity, like soap, must be personally applied if it is to make a difference in our lives. That famous preacher was Billy Graham pretty wise guy, I think, actually. And I would probably eliminate myself if I could rewrite the quote, I take away Christianity and I would replace it with being a Christ follower. Like it is time in a world that is filled with evil for the Christ followers to stand up and to apply the holiness of God that can stand in, an, in a world that is full of evil. Like we all look at our world and we think, oh no. But God looks at this world and says, oh yes, because I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. And, and we have to understand that when we apply what we know out of Revelation 4 and 5 of the one who sits on the throne, the Lamb who is worthy to open the scrolls, it does not matter what comes our way, we can stand in this world. So the story of these seals so far, they, they, they kind of went, there's a pause in, in the fifth seal when it comes to the martyrs, the religious persecution. And there is this phrase that comes out of that verse, and it says, well, how long? How long are we going to have to go through this stuff? Have you ever asked that question before, anybody? 
because I think we relate to what is happening here. The social strife, the ecological disaster, the the sickness to death, the persecution. How long am I going to have to do this? To which Jesus does respond in this text and says, just a little bit longer. And then at the very end of chapter 6, we come to this brilliant question. And it is this, who, who can stand? Who can stand in the face of evil? Like, who really can do this thing? Like, are we just set up for a failure because of what is about to take place, the things that have taken place? Who can stand? Is this not the cry and the question of humanity today? Can we really do this? Can somebody help me? Can we even do this together? To which these questions of how long and, and, can, and who can stand Revelation chapter 7 gives us a really quick answer, and we learn a couple of things. First of all, angels can stand. Angels are not thwarted by the evil that is being demonstrated here on this earth. They are confident because they are with the one who is worthy of it all, who sits on the throne. Day and night, they sing their praises, so angels can stand. We also read as we go through these verses that in verse 9, it shows us that there is a multitude of, of people, of every tribe, language, tongue, peoples of the earth who are also able to stand, showing us this one critical point, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter the evil that demonstrates itself in this world, you can stand because he is in charge. He is in control. And we can stand because of this. In verse 3 of chapter 7, it says this, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Okay, Sean. So you're telling me that if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have this mark on my forehead. What is that mark going to be? What's it all about? You know what the funny part about this story is that nobody wants to talk about this mark. You want to know the mark we want to talk about? Six, six, six. We want to talk about a mark that comes a little bit later in the narrative. But here in chapter 7, we are shown that there is a seal that is placed upon the ones who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. This is fascinating to me because this text then tries to wrap itself a number, 144,000. not trying to confuse us here today, but 144,000. This is what many people would believe is the only number that is going to have access to this eternity. So listen, if you are one, if you are 144,000 and one, you're out of luck today in a world of billions of people. So again, I think we have to look at the text of Revelation and we have to understand its symbolism, not its literalism. And we've looked at the number as 144,000. Many commentators will land on this, that it is a symbol for a vastness. How do I know this? Because in verse 9, it says that there is a multitude too great to count that stands before the one who is worthy of it all. I can count to 144,000. I cannot count into the billions as to the multitude that has expressed itself over here. But they've got this seal on their head. And this is interesting for me because we always think, again, as Revelation is future predictive, it's going to come, it's going to come, but I want to contend today that this seal that we are talking about has already come. 
Like, are we in the end times? Yes, we are. But guess what? Because of that, we've been sealed for this purpose. And I want us to see this on the screen today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a what? With a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What we learn and what we know today is that the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are sealed with the power and the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Is this some random number that he's going to write on your forehead? I do not think so. What he is talking about as we begin to look at the totality of Scripture is that when you give your faith to Jesus Christ, he marks you. He places his seal on you so that you will be saved in the day of persecution and the day of evil. It continues in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. I love this verse here, and so let's put that up on the screen. Now it is God who makes both us and you, what? Stand firm in Christ. Who can stand? I can. Why? Because I'm in Christ. And he appointed us, and he set his, say it again, seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Listen, folks, today we are able to stand in a day of persecution and evil because if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed by his Holy Spirit. You are okay. Listen, to be sealed means that you are protected from the eternal consequences of historical evil. This is not just heavenly bliss and hoping and thinking. You are sealed today in the midst of experienced historical evil. You are protected and sealed today. Eugene Peterson says this, We are protected from the God-separating effects of evil, even as we experience the suffering caused by evil. Wow. Let me encourage you with something. Tribulation is going to happen to you. You encouraged? It's going to happen. It's coming your way. Well, Sean, I think pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib and I don't know where I land with this. And You know, to me, the timeline I cannot dictate to you. I, I don't know. But what my Bible shows me that in the face of persecution and evil... I still can be marked with the seal of the one who sits on the throne. Like this is the news of Revelation 6 and 7. Don't be in a panic. This is not about fear. What Jesus is saying is that no matter what comes in this world, you could be sealed by me and I will protect your life. Jesus encourages us in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says that in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But Sean, this is crazy! I know. It's totally crazy. But guess what? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Like why have we as a believing group of people, why have we lost sight of the totality of the word of God? Why have we gone down these roads of fear and panic? Yes, they're unsettling, but we know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Like, that's what you should put your head on your pillow for tonight and remember that he is able. And in spite of all of this evil that is released upon the earth, and again, I don't understand it all. Look at the picture of heaven in chapter 7. 
It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd. It was too great to count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. They were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And then they sang, Amen, blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Like there is a perspective of heaven that even in the face of evil, what is it encouraging us to do today? Worship the one who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. We have a responsibility to come back and to keep our gaze and our focus on the one who is in control of it all. How we stand, how we will endure is marked by Jesus Christ. Then there's the seventh seal, and this is where I'll close because I can't preach anymore because there's only seven seals. It says that there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is the last seal. And this is what it means. I have no hot clue. <laughs> I really have no clue as to what this means. Now, there are some perspectives that I have, opinions I may have. But can you imagine this just for a quick moment with me? Number one, all the other seals happened on earth, but this one happens in heaven. Why? Like, I got questions around that. There's silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. If I were to sit on the stage and just be silent for 30 seconds, it'd drive you nuts. 30 minutes in heaven, eternity. Longevity of the, of the span of time. 30, 30 minutes. Like, what, what's that all about? Apparently, from the stories and things that we are seeing, like, there is a constant worship service happening in heaven. And now silence for 30 minutes? Like, what is going on? What is this all about? I don't know what the answer is. When you get to heaven, you ask him, you tell me, and then we'll know it all. Right? I, I, I just don't, I don't know. But I found it interesting that the seal is in heaven. What's that all about? Even with man's possible interpretations with these seals, there are a couple of things that are certain for you and I today, according to this text. Evil is going to occur. It is a part of God's justice. It is a part of his love, though. But please do not miss that he is still on the throne and is consistently giving people an opportunity to repent because his grace abounds. That even in the face, the adversity of evil, there's one who gives permission for all of it to happen. And he's still in charge. And so be encouraged today that as you walk from this place, you could too be sealed with the mark of God, where his Holy Spirit will guide and lead you through this. And if you have never bowed your knee to the one who sits on the throne, Jesus, this seal is not yours yet but it's a decision that you can have and that you get to make with him. So this is the word of the Lord today. It's a tough one, but even when evil happens, you still do not have to fear because he is still in charge. Amen? Will you pray with me today? Father, thank you for your word. As difficult as this one is, help us to see the context of what you're trying to communicate, not the little details. 
that evil is going to happen. It's an aspect of justice. But that evil is under your command as well. It's given permissions. And I know that doesn't make sense for our human minds. But remind us again today, it's because there is a, a rub with the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this earth. And Father, we have allowed a lot of things to happen on this earth and in our time that are pure evil. So allow your church to stand up. Allow your church to re remember that they have been sealed by you so that no matter what tribulation may come, we still have the ability to stand because you have equipped us. So Jesus, I thank you for this today. And as we chew on this word, you know, continue to speak to us. Help us to dig a little bit deeper ourselves maybe into the words that we have talked about here today. But we'll give you thanks for that. So Jesus, go with us into this week and teach us. That's what I pray. With all eyes closed, heads bowed, perhaps you're in this room or you're online today and you have never been sealed with the mark of God. I'm here to tell you today that he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Jesus, that little lamb, slaughtered but raised to life, ascended to the throne, will come back to get his church. If you've never accepted him, today could be your day. If you're in this room and that's you, perhaps you say, Sean, I want that marking. I believe today that he is who he said he is. If that's you on the count of three, would you just raise your hand and look at me in the eye and we'll pray for you. One, two, three. Is there anyone here today who's like to accept Christ? And if you're online with us today, you're texting the word LIFE to 250 Jesus, you see us and you know our stories. For those that are going to return, come to you today, I ask that your grace would be all more than enough for them. If they would understand who you are in your plan today, but I give you thanks for them and this decision that they are making. So Jesus, we love you. Give us a great week, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, church, we love you. If you are brand new with us today, um, I'm going to invite you to head over to the Welcome Center, which is in our back corner, and Pastor Josh is going to be over there. Please say hello. And uh, other than that, have a fantastic week. And again, pick up those uh, pieces of paper on the tables on your way out for VBS help and a leadership conference that is coming up. We love you, church, and we'll see you next week.